Please be seated. It's my blessing this morning to have Cameron McMillan with us. Cameron is um, a seminarian up in the cold of uh, Wisconsin at Neshoda House, my alma mater. And he is a seminarian from Good Shepherd within this diocese. He's been here uh, this weekend with us. He was uh, with us yesterday morning and uh, yesterday evening, actually all day pretty much on campus. And uh, so he's been preaching at the uh, early service and he will be preaching again for us right now, opening up the word to us. It's been such a great blessing to have him here. Uh, Let's have a word of prayer, Cameron. Lord, we thank you for this, your child, your beloved, who uh, you have laid your hand on mightily. Lord, we ask that you uh, continue to bless him in this journey and today that you would open up his lips to speak your words to the glory of your name. And it is in your powerful name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you all. For those I didn't meet last time in May, hello. I also bring you greetings from my wife, who is back in Wisconsin, uh, from where she sent me a picture this morning of the white landscape outside. So it was, it was not white when I left. It was cold, but now it's cold and white. Um, I, I wanted to point out that the thing that stands out most about Good Shepherd from a, an outsider who comes in is the hospitality, and it is a place uh, beaming and alive with love and hospitality and joy, and um, I commend you for that, and, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, just a preliminary remark, keep in mind that we are there is a celebration going on in heaven today because somebody is going to be baptized and and received into the family of God and the angels. The scriptures tell us that the angels in all of heaven is rejoicing when that happens. So it's an exciting day to be here, and I'm and I'm honored to uh, preach uh, for this service. Over the last few weeks, uh, Jesus has been giving us stories and parables uh, that are are kind of uh, strange. They're kind of scary sometimes. There's a lot of apocalyptic imagery, and there's darkened skies and judgments and uh, these bridesmaids with uh, oiled lamps, and uh, he's, he's teaching us about the necessity of watchfulness and being prepared for his return and what, uh, what the Christian life is supposed to look like um, for all of us. Reverend Sarah spoke last week. I keep up sometimes when I can with the sermons, and so I know what last week's sermon was, and she, uh, she spoke from the angle of working on our relationship with the Lord and getting rid of the things which bring us shame and guilt and the things that we need to repent of and, and, and keeping our lamps oiled for the return of the bridegroom. And I want to uh, come from a little bit of a different angle and talking about preparedness and watchfulness. And um, I want to tell you a story. When I was about in third grade, there I was at a Lutheran private school, and so one of my teachers was fond of showing a cartoon videos of the Bible stories, and one of them was of Cain and Abel. And, of course, Abel uh, comes onto the scene, and he's radiant, and he's incredibly handsome, and he has a lamb slung over his, uh, over his shoulders, and that is his sacrifice that he brings to the Lord. And Cain comes in kind of uh, frowning and with his head down, and he has this basket of rotten fruit, and there is this green gaseous cloud that cartoon movies had arising from his uh, wilted apples and oranges and bananas that are in his, uh, in his basket. 
And it's a well-meaning depiction of uh, Cain, the Cain and Abel story, but unfortunately uh, based on poor biblical interpretation. And the reason I say that is because if you look at Genesis 4 and just give it a brief glance, you will see that the reason that Cain is upset and the reason that he's, his offering is not acceptable is not because of the quantity or the quality of it, but because Cain didn't bring a heart uh, with the, that offering that was seeking to honor God joyfully and, and out of thankfulness. So God... God chastises Cain uh, not because of some uh, value of his particular material offering, but because of the state of his heart. The Orthodox uh, theologian uh, Alex Schmemann once said, the first, the basic definition of man is that he is the priest. The first, the basic definition of man is that he is the priest. And what he means by that is priest in a general sense that man was created by God and all of creation was given to him. And the priestly role that we have is to offer it all back to God with all of our lives, with all of ourselves and all of our possessions. And we we have this uh, imagery of the priesthood of all believers in in Scripture. Of course, St. Peter tells us you are a chosen, uh, chosen, chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what does this mean? What, does, what is this priestly role that every single baptized Christian is called into uh, to celebrate uh, life and give offerings uh, to God? What does this mean for, the, for us and what does it look like played out in the real world? Uh, Shemaimon goes on to say in, in his book where he makes a statement about man as a priest and he says uh, the, whole, the whole entire world is created as the matter, the material of one all-embracing Eucharist using symbolic language and says man was created as the priest of this cosmic sacrament. Very, very poetic, beautiful statement that gives us an image of this entire world being what we offer back up to God. There's nothing that we don't offer back up to God. Uh, when we think about sacrifice uh, today in the modern world, we often, uh, we often associate it with uh, negative terms um, of loss and deprivation. That, oh, what do I have to sacrifice now? I have to give something up. And we think of it in a very negative way that it's not a necessarily joyful occasion to sacrifice something. Or maybe it's a trade-off. I'll sacrifice this so I can get this. However, in the ancient world, the world of the Israelites... And the ancient Near East, sacrifice was a, a, a joyful occasion. It was to be given joyfully, to be given out of thanksgiving. And most importantly, sacrifice was about communion with one's God. And it was, a, it was an event in which one entered with great joy to praise and glorify God who had given all, who had given the, the sacrifice in the first place. And it's, it's very easy for us, even as Christians, who, who kind of have a sense of that truth, for the, this, this false notion of what sacrifice is, it's very easy for that to slip into our thinking um, unnoticed by us. And the way that that plays out is when we begin to see our, our, our duty or as our work as a Christian in the world as some kind of a burden. And, that, and we, we have to be cautious of that kind of thinking slipping in. God's 
economy is not one of market value. He is not uh, looking at your works and calculating and keeping a tab of how, how much you owe. Uh, God's economy is one of grace, and that's the economy that we're called into as, as believers to share in and to make known in the world around us, to make that grace go outward and let people know about it, to be a city on a hill. Uh, the reason why God's economy is one of grace is, well, of course, because Jesus has paid the only debt that we could ever pay. We could never pay. Uh, the only debt that is required of all of humanity has been paid for by a loving Savior who has, who has uh, taken all of the debt of our sin to the cross and absorbed it into himself and paid that debt. And all that we can do now is respond to what's already been done for us. And in that priestly role... Uh, we become those who take what God has given us and offer it back up to him in a life of praise, uh, thanksgiving, and proclaiming his good news. Now you see in the Old Testament where this kind, of, this kind of goes wrong is that when the people who are called by God to be his elect people, who to, to bear his word and to be a light to the nations, um, they, they slip into this mode of sinfulness and idolatry and they're no longer coming to God and doing their rituals and their sacrifices with praise and thanksgiving. They're doing them as um, empty gestures, empty religious rituals. And they're scolded for it. And God makes uh, himself known in that by saying, I desire love, not steadfast love, not sacrifice. I, I uh, require of you to, walk, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So, you know, don't bring the sacrifice. Uh, don't do the ritual if there's nothing behind it. So what does this have to do with today's parable and with these three servants? Uh, the first two are uh, rewarded and the third one is scolded. And it's important to note that the first two who bring back what they have done with uh, the allotment that they've been given, notice that what they had been given was according to their ability. The master didn't give them too much that he knew that they couldn't bear. He gave them something that he knew that they could handle. And so... These three servants come back and the first two are rewarded. And they're not rewarded because of X amount of dollars that they made. They're rewarded for their faithfulness over the little bit that they had been given. They're rewarded over their willingness to, to take risks and take what they had been given and to have a fruitful uh, labor with it. And that's very, very important about the uh, parable and thinking about God's economy being one of grace and not of market value. And their master says to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, it's not the quantity, it's the willingness of the, of the heart of the servants who God calls and gives them, a t gives them something, gives them a job to do, and it's their willingness to do it. God is not looking for uh, superheroes to save the world every day. He's looking for normal folks like you and me who will join in with diligence, with hearts of joy and gratitude to him and join in the work that Jesus is doing in the world and to play that priestly role of, of offering everything back to God. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a stewardship in the widest sense that you can conceive it. Stewardship of everything God has given us that belongs to him. Now, of course, we have... Um, you know, some not so good news for the third ser servant who comes back and he uh, is 
he is scolded by the master because he buried his talent in the ground. He immediately, uh, paralyzed by fear, uh, laziness, complacency, whatever it is that he's that uh, inhibits him from doing that, buries it into the ground and says, well, here you go. I just kept it safe for you. And he's, and he's scolded for that. Um, let me say a little bit about the context of what Jesus is, uh, the historical context and who Jesus is preaching to, because it makes all the difference in the world for how we understand the parable. And Jesus is speaking to a, the Jewish people who had been given an allotment uh, a certain amount of talents, if you will, which was their election as God's people. It was bearing God's law to be a light to the nations. And they had, in a sense, buried it in the ground. And they had erected a, a sort of uh, privacy fence around it that uh, was made up of extra religious rituals and laws to be followed. And they became distracted by that so much that they forgot that uh, behind that fence, the, the light was being blinded that was supposed to be drawing people in. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts speaking in these parables. And along with speaking these parables, his life is actually demonstrating uh, what he is saying. And so from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is unburying this thing from the ground and showing them that it has been buried, this treasure. And he starts to shine it as a light to everyone around him. And uh, we see in the Gospels this continual outward moving uh, light of God's healing power and his love coming through Jesus. Uh, the Gospels tell us that it literally flowed out of him in almost a physical way. And uh, so much so that a woman who is crippled and um, suffering from internal bleeding can get a hold of him in a crowd and grab his garment. And he says, I felt power go out of me and she's healed instantly. And so this is the kind of all of all of those instances where we see Jesus healing is him taking the light, unburying the gift of being God's people and and pushing it outwards and showing it to the world and drawing people into it. And so our third servant in the parable is uh, kind of like guilty of the same sin that the Jews were of of burying something that was meant to be used in a fruitful labor. Um, A couple ways that we can think about this is that, first of all, God is not uh, making a list and checking it twice to find out who's been naughty and who's been nice when he comes back. But uh, what Jesus is actually teaching us in these parables is what kind of people God wants us to be, what he, the kind of people he wants to find when he returns. And the parables, uh, you know, they're, they're, I call them collar looseners because they make us a little bit uncomfortable when we hear them. But in a sense, they're meant to make us uncomfortable and not for the sake of being scared and running away, but of of affecting a transformation in us that makes us makes us feel feel God's heart and his desire to uh, have his mission spread in the world uh, through the gospel and the good news of of Jesus Christ. St. Paul says in uh, first Thessalonians passage that we just heard moments ago, He says, for you are all children of light. And then he goes on to say, therefore, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. Therefore, being the key word, you are children of light. God has called you into light. He says he has destined you not for wrath, but for salvation in Jesus Christ. Therefore, continue to do the good that I'm seeing you do and and continue to grow in it. And uh, 
I can't help when I read a passage like this. I can see it being spoke to Good Shepherd because when I come here, I see building up and encouragement going on and a lot of uh, genuine love and hospitality. Um, So uh, when I read a passage like this, I think, This is what Paul would say to you. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a wonderful thing by taking care of each other and loving each other. Um, And that's that's why the movie about Cain and Abel was wrong. That's why the the depiction, the cartoon depiction of their offerings was was misleading because it wasn't about Abel's uh, stinky, wilted fruit. That's not why God was upset because God says to him, uh, if you do not do right, will you not be acceptable? Um, so Ab- Ab- or Cain was coming with a heart that was buried in the ground, that was sunk down, that was not joyful. He felt bound by duty. And what God wants is not uh, mechanistic, drudging robots who feel burdened with uh, what their, their mission is. He wants flesh and blood human beings who are alive with the Spirit, joyful and eager to do the work that he's given, eager to take what he is has given us, which is so much, and to, and to make use of it and to multiply it in the world by our service to others and our, and our worship of his holy name. Uh, Leslie Newbegin was a 20th century uh, bishop in South India who was big in the field of the missional movement, wrote a lot of important uh, books about what mission looks like in our religiously pluralistic and culturally uh, pluralistic world. And I was reading one of his books recently. It's called uh, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. I highly recommend it to you. And Newbegin says, um, you know, we have this language, Christians have this language about mission, uh, mission is our duty. Mission is our duty. He says, I really don't like that language because it sounds like we're carrying this bag of bricks around and it's a burden for us that we have to carry and we have to do it and we're, we do it because we're obliged. But Newbegin says, mission is a kind of explosion of joy. It's like we just, heard, we just found out about this good news and we entered into God's family and now what are we going to do about it? Are we transformed by that? And he says, mission is an acted-out doxology. Mission is an acted-out doxology, a song of praise to God. So may we look, when we look at this parable, let, let's be transformed, let's be made a little bit uncomfortable, but transformed in the sense that we see, um, what in my life am I not thankful for? What, am I, what do I have? What has God given me that he's calling me to put to action? It doesn't have to be some glorious, wonderful skill or talent. Any, anything that we have and everything is to be offered back up to God. The first, the basic definition of man, is that he is the priest. How will we offer to God what he has given to us first? As we approach the altar uh, now to receive communion, uh, recalling our Lord's death, remembering his uh, resurrection, and, and awaiting his coming in glory, uh, may we too offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, uh, holy, ex- holy and acceptable unto him, so that when we, when we meet our master who has given us so much and we, and we meet him face to face, that he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, I have put you over a little now and you have been faithful, I will place you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen.